Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha, Ve'chol Levavecha, Uve'chol Nefshecha, Uve'chol Meodecha, Ve'ahavta Lareacha Kamocha. Amen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Please be seated for my words. You're the best. I know, I know. We always say, good job. Okay, I wasn't going to do that today, but you did it for me. Awesome. I love it. Guys, Genesis 18. We are, we are kind of running through Genesis. The title of this section in this class is called a walk through Genesis. And that would be nice to be able to just stroll nicely through Genesis and hit every story. But we're going to book it through Genesis. And then we're going to go right into Jesus life. Y'all, you are going to wake up tomorrow and it's going to be four weeks left in this class. And then it's done. Yeah. We have 12 weeks right now. You're going to wake up tomorrow. It's going to be four. And then you'll wake up the next day. and It's going to be our last week of class. That's how fast it goes. It's going to fly by. You will not believe how fast the rest of this class is going to go. And I want to get into Jesus' life because this is what the whole Bible has been trying to get us to this whole time. Genesis 18 is, an, is a crazy story about a man named Abraham. God has changed his name from Abram to Avraham, right? Father of many nations. Um, I love the story of the blood covenant, which we just looked at. Very powerful. Just rips my heart out every time. And I love that. Well, turn your Bibles to Genesis 18. Now, if you were in Mr. Dean's eighth grade boys Bible class, you're going to remember the story, but don't ruin it. Yeah, don't ruin it for anybody else because they weren't in that class and they don't know all the stuff you know. So Sterling and Kyle and Brent can't say anything, okay? Lips are sealed. All right, Genesis 18. Uh, This is the Lord. As the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, with a small L, it should be, because at this point, Abraham does not know this is God. It should be, O sir, or O Lord. The word is Adonai in Hebrew. If I have uh, found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourself and after that you may pass on since you've come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three sayas of fine flour, knead it, make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And they stood, sorry, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Interesting story. You and I know the end of the story because we're the readers. 
Abraham lived it. So Abraham, Abraham was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. And the question we have is, why is he just sitting there? No, you can't answer. Mm, sorry. I knew you were. Goyles, why was he just sitting there? He was at the entrance, at the door of his tent. He's a nomad. So he's got a tent up. It's the heat of the day. What's the heat of the day? What time is it in Midland during the heat of the day? Yeah, it's four to five o'clock. It's the, the sun has been baking the ground all day long. And as soon as the sun is finally at its last place where it can actually be hot on the ground before it starts to set, that's when you have the, the accumulation of all that heat throughout the entire day. It's usually about four or five o'clock when it's the hottest it's going to be in Midland. Well, it's no different in the Middle East. So it's probably three, two, three, four o'clock in the afternoon. It's so hot, it would be more comfortable to breathe out of the end of a hairdryer than it would be to be Abraham sitting at the entrance of his tent. But why is he sitting there? Okay. Maybe so. Maybe so. Good. Okay, good. Everybody go like this. And then go like this. That's a picture. This is what we consult first whenever we ask a question about the Bible. What do you think? Well, what do I think? Maybe there's more air circulating. Well, maybe he was tired. Well, maybe it was too hot. Maybe it was cooler inside. Here's what a Jew. Okay, go like this. Here's where a Jew consults when he's asked a question about the Bible. Yes! Oh, that was perfect. You all pointed right at your Bibles. Okay. Yeah, whoa, right, right there. That's where he goes. A Jew consults the scriptures when there's a question about the scriptures. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Look at the end of 17 and tell me why Abraham is just sitting there. No, no, no. Chapter 17, the end of chapter 17. Excuse me? Oh, so Abraham was circumcised that day. Yeah. Oh, so that's why he's not moving. That's why he's just sitting at the entrance of his tent because he can't move. Now, with girls in here, we always do this in eighth grade boys Bible so we can talk and we can get really frank. We can get really specific uh, with what's going on here. So I'll try to keep it where it's not so uncomfortable and embarrassing for us. But I mean, this is, yeah, we'll keep this very PG. Um, but this is in the Bible. To give you girls an idea of the pain of the wounds of circumcision, um, I'm going to tell you a story out of Genesis 34, I think it is. Two guys, two brothers, Levi and Simeon. Their daughter, their they're two of the 12 sons of Jacob, okay? So you've got Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, you know, all them. They have one sister. Can you imagine 12 brothers and one sister? Her name's Dinah. Dinah. Din, my last name, Din, judge. Dinah, I don't even know what ah means, but it's got to be something like Sarah means uh, princess or princess. Uh, I forget 
Her name, Sari, was my princess, and God changed her name from Sari to Sara, and she became like, like the big princess. I don't, so I, I don't know what it means, but I know that Dina is like judge. Maybe it's judge of judge all. Yeah. yeah, judge overall, something like that. Dina gets raped by a guy named Shechem. Shechem sees her and says, hubba hubba. So he rapes her completely defiles her. It's not her fault, but she's still defiled. And he's shamed the family. Now Jacob and all the brothers are just, it's not the thing like, why would they be ashamed? It's not her fault. It's not that kind of thing. It's a, it's a Japanese kind of code of honor. It's like, you've dishonored us by letting your hair down. You've dishonored the whole family. And, and for some reason, that's dishonoring. So for some reason, God made it dishonoring when there is a girl that has lost her virginity against her will even. So Simeon and Levi decide to take vengeance. They don't tell anybody. They go to Shechem and they're like, Shechem, what's up? Hey buddy, how are you? Do their little handshake. Shechem's not a Hebrew, by the way, but they know him. And Shechem's like, hey, your sister is so, mwah, she is beautiful. You know what? I'd like to marry her. And Levi and Simeon say, you would? Oh, that'd be great. Oh my gosh. Now they've been scheming and planning for a long time. That's great, you know. Um, but there's a problem. We can't marry our, our sister outside of our clan. I mean, you'd have to be Hebrew. And Shechem says, well, how do I become Hebrew? He says, oh, it's easy. You just have to get circumcised. And he's like, well, what's that? Snippy, snippy. Oh, oh, oh gosh. Uh, but you know what? Dinah's worth it. She is worth it. And, oh, I'm sorry. Did I, did I not tell you? It's not just you, Shechem. It's going to have to be every male in your entire village. That's how it's going to have to work. And Shechem says, no problem. She's worth it. Um, yes, it is in Genesis 34. So they say, I'm just telling you the um, kind of the, the paraphrased version. Actually, everybody has to become circumcised. And, and Shechem speaks for all the men. Could you imagine that? He says, no problem. We'll all do it. Jeez. And then, you know, if I'm one of the men, I'm like, hey, Shechem, uh, could you let me know? <laughs> I make my own decision here. No, because I want Dinah. So all the men in Shechem's village get circumcised and they put the foreskins in a bag for them to be counted because they're not going to trust. Yeah, we're all good. Really? Okay. Now they're going to count how many men you got. We're missing three. Oh, you know, and they got to go get three more. So, I mean, it's a, it's a big deal. What we don't know is on the third or fourth day, I can't remember is the day of the great pain. It's when the coagulation, the scabbing starts to happen. And I know this is kind of weird because like girls are like, are you serious, Mr. Dean? But I'm telling you, it's in the Bible and it makes sense. And it just, it get, it's, gonna, it's gonna shed light on the story that we're talking about in Genesis 18. The day of great pain is the day when scabbing starts to happen. So you've got a scab now in a very, very, very sensitive place and it hurts so bad you can't move. Here's how the story goes. Simeon and Levi walk into the village after they count the foreskins. 
and they draw their swords and they proceed to kill every single person in the village. And nobody stands up, nobody fights back, nobody draws a weapon. And in a sense, Simeon and Levi go, oh, hey, how's it going, Shechem? Oh, I'm sorry, did you die? Yeah. And they're just stabbing people that are in their beds going, ah, please don't stop. And they just die. And it's like, why didn't they fight back? They couldn't. You can't move. The pain is so intense, you can't move. I think Irma Bombeck or somebody, some famous old, older lady's author that's a funny lady said, imagine if, you, if men want to know what it's like to have a baby, just take your bottom lip and pull it up over your head. <laughs> that's what it feels like for a, a, a woman to have a baby. So like, guys can't imagine that. Girls can't imagine the pain of circumcision. Well, it's so bad, you can't even sit up in your bed. You can't even yell out for help. You can't do anything. And in a sense, two guys went in and wiped out a village of hundreds without any resistance. That's what circumcision does. That's what Abraham, sitting at the entrance of his tent. Now, remember, behold, he sees before him three men standing there. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. Okay? Remember how none of the men in the Shechem's village could even move. Abraham runs to these three men in the moments of his circumcision with the wounds fresh. And you think, why, why did he do this? Okay, this is building our story. In the culture, in the Jewish culture, there is almost nothing more shameful than to see an old man running. Let me give you a comparison. You and your mom and your dad and your grandma and grandpa and your sweet great grandma are all at the beach for a family vacation. And you guys pull your umbrellas and your coolers down there and somebody's got to help sweet great grandma. She's 97. She's the cutest thing in the world. She's about four feet, five inches tall, just the cutest little thing. She gets down to the little place where you guys pop the umbrellas and open the coolers and she takes her top off completely topless and runs out and goes, "Woo! let's go swimming in front of all your friends and in front of the rest of the family. How embarrassed are you? You are so embarrassed for your great grandma. You can't even breathe. You cannot even imagine how grandma could do this. This is the craziest thing in the world. That doesn't even come close to the idea of shame that is brought about by an old man running in that culture. Old men don't run. They don't. There's no need to. I have grown to the age where I have the right to say, you, go get me some coffee. Yes, father. I'm old. I don't have to hurry. You get to hurry for me. I love that, actually. I wish we had that in this culture. I wish we had that in this culture where we had to wait on older people. All of us run around and get them stuff so that they didn't have to do stuff for themselves because they've earned the right to say, and you go, "Mm -hmm, okay. Now, Ray Vanderlyn, I know a lot of these stories come from him, but we're going to get away from Ray Vanderlyn's teachings here in a little bit, but this is one story he told me. Um, And I love that. He was on living with a Bedouin family for about six weeks, I believe it was. Um, 
They were with, uh, I think they were Arab. I'm pretty sure they were. He wanted to know about this whole old man running thing, like if it was really true. So he asks the chief, the sheikh, the, the, the gentleman who's in charge. He was clearly the oldest one there. And by, because of his headdress, you could tell he's the guy in charge. He asks his translator, would you ask who happened to be his father? Would you ask your father when, he wanted to test the theory, when an old man in this culture would run? And the translator leans over and says in Arabic, hey dad, this guy wants to know when an older person in this culture would run. And the guy, you know, he's like, no, never. What are you kidding? That's, that's ridiculous. Why would we run? He's like, no, no, but like, is there ever an exception? And the old man thought about it for a minute. And then he answers back in Arabic. And the translator says, if my granddaughter were about to be stung by the black scorpion, I might run, is what he said. I might run. What's your wife? Too bad she's a goner. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, what in the world? My granddaughter? I might kind of hurry to get her. That's people do not run. Old people don't run. So this story of Abraham is just mind-blowing. Abraham runs to these three men with the wounds of circumcision, bows down with his face to the earth, subjects himself to that kind of pain. Then what does he do? He runs back to Sarah and says, quick, need three seahs of flour into cakes. Then he runs to get a calf. To give, I mean, this guy's running all over. Now you think, oh, Abraham's just doing that in front of his family. He lives with dozens of people, servants and slaves and, and nephews and nieces. And just the whole village is watching Abram run around. And they're all going, Great grandma, put your top on. This is terrible. Like they can't stand to see him running. That alone is just amazing. He calls these three men who's he, who he's never seen before. Lord, sir, great respect. And then what does he promise to bring them, ladies? How much bread? How much bread? No, read it. It's right there. What's a morsel? What's a morsel? Okay, it's a small amount, but what's a truly a morsel? I know you guys are like, I know this. I know this, Dean. Let me do. What's a morsel? Is a morsel bigger than a bite or smaller? It's smaller than a bite. A morsel is a tiny crumb of a bite. That's what Abraham promises to bring these three men. Let me bring you a morsel of bread. Like, right? It's crazy. Let me bring you a morsel of bread. Oh, and I'm going to bring some water so you can what? Verse four. Wash your feet and rest yourselves. Let me bring you a morsel of bread that you may rest and refresh yourselves. And after that, you can pass on since you've come to your servant. And they say, do as you have said. Now, let's talk about the morsel of bread. It's a crumb of a bite. That's what he promises. Okay? Yeah, it's like what you, what you take in communion. Promises. Morsel. Now, what does he tell Sarah? Quick! Read it. It's right there in verse 5. 6. 5 or 6. 
Okay, you got your Bible says measures. Does you have do you have a footnote under measures? Ah, 20 quarts is what it says. All right, cool. That's liquid. Seaz is the Hebrew. Good. Quick! Get three seaz of what kind of flour, Jordan? Finest? Do you guys know what the finest flour is, is, is from, what it looks like? Yeah, it's wheat flour. It's the flour that you use to make pancakes with. That's the finest flour in existence. Not just fine because it's tiny, but fine because it's the choice quality. There's barley flour, there's oat flour, there's all the flour, corn flour, but wheat flour is the choice flour. It's the stuff that tastes the best, right? Chocolate cake. You wouldn't want chocolate barley cake. It would be like, ugh, okay? Choice flour. He has never seen these three men before in his life. He runs back to Sarah, says, quick, three seahs. Now the question is, and there's a debate among scholars about how much three seahs is. As a dry volume, not a liquid 20 quarts, as a dry volume, they discuss that it's somewhere between 60 and 75 pounds. Can you believe that? 60 to 75 pounds of flour. Now, have any of you ever needed a pound of flour? It's not easy to knead a pound of flour, let alone five pounds or 10 pounds. Did you imagine 10 pounds of flour? Quick, Sarah, turn 75 pounds of flour into cakes. Hurry, hurry. And Sarah's how old? She's about this time, she's about 89 because she's going to have a baby really soon at age 90. An 89-year-old running around, which is shameful. 75 pounds. Do you know how much 75 pounds is? Well, let me tell you something. The rabbi said, let me read to you what the rabbi said. The rabbi said it was humanly impossible for Sarah to be able to knead 65 pounds of flour by herself. However, since it is written in the infallible word of God, then it must be true. And for it to be true, God had to have done what? What do we call that when God intervenes and does something impossible? He did a miracle through Sarah because she baked 70 five pounds of flour, turned it into cakes and baked it. By the way, where are you going to put 75 pounds worth of bread? All over the house. How are you going to get that out to the strangers that are over by the trees of, the, the trees of Mamre? Think about it. How would you get it out there? You can either get little kids to bring it. Because not only are you bringing 75 pounds of bread, you got to bring water enough for them to wash their feet, drink, be refreshed. Oh, and what else did he get? A calf. How much does a calf weigh? At least 200 pounds. At least. He tells the young man, who's got a little more energy than 100-year-old Abraham, hey, prepare this. What did he mean by prepare it? Is that like, get it ready for the slaughter? Hey, little lamb. I mean, little calf. Listen, in just a minute, they're going to bonk you on the head and they're going to cut you off. I'm just preparing you. Is that what he meant by prepare it? 
Forewarn it? No. What does it mean? Okay, what do we call it? You almost said it. To butcher it. He's telling him to butcher it. To butcher doesn't mean like we think is butcher because we watch horror movies and they butchered that lady. No, he didn't butcher her. They butchered the calf means they cut off the exact pieces. Rump roast, rib roll, um, skirt steak. Uh, you got your New York strip. You got your uh, ribeye. He prepared it into all the pieces that we like to eat that have different flavors. Where are you going to put 250 pounds worth of calf meat? Come on, use your imaginations. Was he just going to carry him on his shoulders? I'm Abraham. Dun, 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 dun. I'm 100. Thank you. You're going to put it in the wagon. Have a donkey carry it out on a cart. 75 pounds of bread, 250 pounds of meat, enough water for three people to drink and wash their feet. And in the Middle Eastern culture, you do not have the food ready when you ask a guest to come over. I asked you guys to come over last night for 3D. And the second you walked in, everything was out. Everything was ready. Meat in the crock pot. Cheese was already grated. Sour cream was out. In the Middle East, I would never do that in a million years. That would be the most offensive thing I could do is to have the food ready when you showed up to my house as my guest. Do you know why? Don't answer. Well, that's, also, that's a message of... Come in, eat real quick and go. Yeah, I think that's good. But that's not why I don't want... I have to prepare the food in front of you in the Middle East. Why? Maybe so they knew I took the time to prepare it. But there's an even more practical reason. If I bring out food and say, here you go. So it's not poison? No, never. But where'd you get it? Or even better, you serving me your leftovers? You're going to give me your leftovers. Thanks a lot. Rather than there's one way you can know for sure that I will not serve you my leftovers is if you see me make the food, right? You know, it's not leftovers. Abraham prepares the food right in front of him, just like an Arab would do. So they watch this meat get cooked, this ribeye steak, this, this T-bone steak get cooked right in front of them. They're thinking, wow, this is great. How much bread? 75 pounds. Wow. How much did he promise? So what we have here, guys, we're starting to build a little profile. An old man shames himself in front of the whole village in the hottest part of the day, barely able to move from the wounds of circumcision. He bows himself to the ground in a gesture of complete and total subjection. He runs again. Oh, everybody's watching him. Don't run. Gosh, that's embarrassing. To his wife, tells her to bake so much bread that only God could make it happen. Then he takes the best of his herd, the best of his grain, and he gives them the choicest seats in the entire area. And that's under the shade of the trees. And what does Abram do, Abraham do as they are eating? He stands there and watches them. Why? Exactly. Oh, did, did you need a little more butter? Let me get you some more butter. Here you go. Are you out of water? Let me get you some. This is what Abraham's doing. Oh, can I, can I get you some more? Did you need a little napkin? Are, is the donut okay? Is it fresh enough? Good. Everything good? This is what he's doing. The old man. This waiting tables. Is everything okay? It's beautiful, guys. It's the most beautiful thing you can ever imagine. 
And here's the coolest thing. He shames himself, he humbles himself, all for the sake of three strangers that he's never seen before and he will never see again. Wow. Because to him, they're three human beings he's never seen before. These are three guys. Now, what makes this story so special? Oh my gosh, you guys. What's the point? There are many. Abraham went to all this trouble, completely neglecting his own discomfort and pride before a whole village, all because some strangers walk up to him. He showed them abounding generosity, overflowing hospitality. And who did the two, the three men turn out to be? Later on in the story. I don't want to say it wrong. The wise men, maybe? No. Keep reading toward. It turned out to be the Lord God and. Who's God going to have on each side of him? Two angels. Whoa is right. It turns out to be God and two angels. Abraham has just fed God and two angels who could shapeshift and look like humans. He had no idea these, this was God. Listen, if he knew that that was God and two angels and he went to all this trouble, would it be really something commendable and we say, oh, wow, Abraham, that was amazing. No, that's how you should treat God. But when it turns out to be a stranger that I've never even seen before and I go to all of this trouble, what does that say about me and my wife? That's some generosity that blows my mind. And guys, listen to Matthew. <laughs> this is where we get to start seeing Jesus in these neat stories. Matthew 13. <laughs> I love this. Matthew 13. If I can find it. Hey, Jesus, tell us what the kingdom of heaven is like. Well, as a Westerner would say, well, it's a place where people are very generous. There's a lot of hospitality. We disregard our own needs. Uh, there's going to be food there. We're going to eat. Jesus is a Jew. Hey, Jesus, what's the kingdom of heaven like? Verse 31, ready? He put another parable, a midrash, before them saying, you want to know what the kingdom of heaven's like? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. Everybody laughs. Everybody dies laughing. They're like slapping their knees and holding their belly. You and I just sit there and read that and go, huh? I don't get it. Don't worry. Ask me about that another day. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it's grown, it's larger than all the garden plants. It becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make their nests in its branches. And they all go like this. <laughs> okay, kingdom of heaven. Man, that's awesome. You and I are like, um... So it's like plants, sort of, because plants photosynthesize. And like the gospel is very plant-like in that it's green. And we have no idea what this is. We're like, what? What in the world's going on? And then Jesus says, wait, 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 wait. I got another one. You want to know what the kingdom of heaven's like? The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three seahs of flour. Isn't that cool? Who's he talking about? Sarah, he doesn't even have to name her. He just said, um, it's like leaven that a woman took and she hid it in, 
I don't know, 75 pounds of flour. And everybody in the audience went, wait, that's, that's Abraham and Sarah. Wait, you mean the kingdom of heaven is, it's a place where people disregard their own pain. They set aside their own needs in order to serve others with the best of what they have. And you promise a little bit in the kingdom of God, but what do you deliver? Everything. I promise you a drop of water. Here's 50 gallons. Here's a bite of a morsel. I mean, a crumb of a bite, but I deliver 75 pounds. Are you saying that's what the kingdom of heaven is like, Jesus? He said, that's exactly what I'm saying it's like. Now tell me which is more powerful. The kingdom of heaven is where people are generous and they disregard their, or let me tell you a story. Let me give you a picture of what the kingdom of heaven's like. It's a picture and the picture has so much power to it. Now, I don't want to lose you guys. Um, let, me, let me give you another place. Matthew 25. Matthew 25. 